All right, yes, we are doing things a little different today. Uh, excited that you guys, yeah, we're clapping for announcements. This is good. This is going to be a good morning. Okay. Uh, glad that you're here this morning. If you are visiting with us, thanks for being here. We have a, a special gift for you. If you'll go out to the welcome table out in the courtyard, um, there is a, a welcome bag and in it are a couple different things, but one of which uh, the most important is a butter cake bar. And I sampled them Awesome. All right. I actually sample every weekend as if I'm a new person, just to see. Uh, so go grab one of those. Also, um, we are a church of inviters, and so we have lots of opportunities to invite people, one of which is uh, these little business cards that if the opportunity arises for you to invite somebody, you can give it to them. And we have a few of those left, so if you want to grab those on your way out, also some stickers, stuff like that, you can rep SCG on the community. And um, I guess those are so popular, we're going to get a, a bunch more of those in, but grab the last ones uh, while they last. Okay, so we are in week two of a series of three weeks called Crazy Busy. And if you are like me, you have a crazy busy life. And one of the ways in which you try to jam more stuff into your schedule is you try to come up with time savers. We call them life hacks, we call them shortcuts, whatever it may be. But um, I have a certain set of, uh, of things that I try to do in order to be more productive. And so my, uh, my my week, and I know this is going to be shocking, is I have to uh, spend a lot of time studying. Most of you think I just get up here and wing it. That's semi-true, very true of Doyle, but I do try to get up here and have something to say, and so I have to spend a lot of time studying, reading, things like that. And so one of the ways that I, uh, I, I kind of come up with a shortcut is I will download either podcasts or audio books so I can listen to things while I drive, and I'll put them on double speed uh, on my phone. Uh, the other thing is I found a great app in which you can get book summaries of thousands thousands of books, and it will tell you everything you need to know, all the major points in a book in 15 minutes. And I thought, I never have to read again, and I haven't since. And so one, that's kind of one of my, uh, one of my ways that I, I save time. But all of us have uh, probably benefited from technology, and um, we have been able to save a ton of time in different arenas. So uh, maybe you have a thing called automatic payments, or automatic withdrawal, I have that as well. And so I haven't written a check. I don't even know where to buy stamps anymore because that is not a thing. Everything is automatic. In fact, um, I have automatic prescription refills. I also have automatic lights on my house. I drive home in my house, everything is on and I go, that is beautiful. It's as if I'm in home alone and uh, I have the house, bing, turns on. It's beautiful. You know, you might have some other stuff too. Um, one of the things that I've taken advantage of recently is this thing called food delivery. There are a couple different companies that you can use. But yesterday we had, I don't know how this happened. It's almost as if it was an infestation of children at my house. We had nine of them. I don't know where they came from. I don't even know their names, but they were in our house in and out, front door. It's crazy. And so Amy looks at me and she says, oh, I don't really feel like cooking. This is crazy. So let's just get on this app, order some phone and I order on our phone and and I can track the food as it comes to our house from my favorite restaurant that's 20 minutes away. And I thought, God bless technology. You know, that is awesome. And I never have to leave my house again because of Amazon. Uh, I can literally, I can literally order anything and it will be here so fast. I can't wait till they have drones and they just drop it into my hands. That is going to be, that's going to be the best. You probably have some apps too, traffic apps, where it tells you where to avoid traffic. You sometimes invite people uh, on road trips, not because you like them, but you want to go in carpool to save some time. Um, in, in fact, um, I have an app that gets my coffee ready for me. So this morning on our way here, I didn't have to stop and talk to anyone because my coffee's ready to go. I literally order it on my phone, uh, walk in, grab it. Thank you very much. Don't make eye contact with me. I don't know you. Let's go. <laughs> 
right? It is just, woo, I love it. Now, uh, I, I recently heard about a TV show. It's on a TLC, and it's called Extreme Time Cheaters. And it follows people around who um, have taken uh, time saving to an extreme, in which they have graphs and charts and schedules for every minute of their day. And some of the things that they do to shave off just a minute might surprise you. Uh, there's one woman says that she saves time by shaving her legs in the pool while doing uh, aqua aerobics. Uh, she also washes her dishes as she showers in order to save a couple minutes. And when I told my wife about this, she pointed out that um, last year, because we lived in a, a trailer, we had to do our dishes in uh, a tub. And she's like, that will never work. It clogs every time. And I thought, that's sad that you know that, but okay. She also wears flip-flops because according to her graph, she saves six hours a year by not having to put on shoes. In fact, she has 18 pairs even wore it on her wedding day. Uh, another man explained that, he says this, he says, I have less than 28,000 days before I die, so I don't, uh, so I make every second count. I never cook. I make all of my food in a blender. I save 67 minutes a day by not chewing. <laughs> he blends up his meals so he can just down them. In fact, it said that he goes to restaurants, and in the restaurants, he will ask the chef to blend up the meal for him so he can save himself some time. And he says also that he, uh, he only washes his clothes every four months. That's awesome. And this actually, this idea I have thought of, and I probably will do at some point, is he bought hundreds of identical socks, so he never has to match them, which I thought that would save my wife so much time, because let's be honest, okay. Uh, and last one is this, and this guy is the best. I mean, this, if you are serious about saving time, this guy's got it. Here's what he says. He says, um, I take laxatives every day, so I can do number twos as fast as I do number ones. Hey, man, if you're serious about saving time, let's go, people, let's go. <laughs> Literally, let, okay, never mind. <laughs> so last week, um, we talked about being crazy busy, and, and the place that we ended up is, uh, is discussing our motivation for why we're so busy. And oftentimes, our motivation is because we're afraid. We're afraid of letting people down. We're afraid of not being enough, not accomplishing our dreams. And so we talked about moving from faith to fear, being able to trust God with the outcomes of our life, to work hard and then leave it up to Him. And so the question that I want to ask today is, if that is uh, supposed to be our motivation, is to trust God, um, what would Jesus do with our schedules? Like if he were us and he were living these crazy busy lives, what would he do with it? What would he implement? What would be the first thing? So we trust you, Jesus. What do you want from us? And here's what I think he may say is I think he may say, well, the first thing that you need to do is you got to get back to the basics. You got to get back to the fundamentals of the faith. And this isn't just true of our schedules. This is actually true of, I believe, every arena of our life is whenever something is out of alignment, it's out of whack, we need to go back to the fundamentals, back to the basics. You have a relationship that's out of whack. Your finances are out of whack. Your health is out of whack. It's probably because you've been ignoring the fundamentals, the basic stuff that you should be doing. Because if you don't do the basics, everything else is going to fail. And so this week was a big week at um, this rat household because my five-year-old daughter said, enough is enough. I'm a big girl. No more training wheels. Her friends don't have training wheels. She wants to go on bike rides with her friends. And so she said, I'm going to learn how to ride a bike. I said, okay, cool. Let's do this. And so 
we went out there, and I kind of went over the fundamentals with her. Here's the deal, is you got to make sure you keep your handlebar straight. You got to keep your eyes on the road. You got to stay in the center of the bike. We went over the fundamentals of starting and stopping and turning. And so once she kind of had it down, of course, I ran along with her, and we got her balanced. And within 30 minutes, she had it. She was ready to go, riding up and down the street. Super excited. This is like, this is one of those moments, of course, Amy's over there with the phone Instagramming it because it doesn't count if it's not on Instagram. And so she's going and, and something weird happens. As she's riding and having fun, she starts to regress a little bit. Actually, at one point, she ends up running into her papa's truck in the side of it, um, which he doesn't know about yet, but he'll be a surprise when he gets home. He, uh, she ends up running into the side of that. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. She gets up, she starts to ride again, and she ends up running into a trash can. And I thought, Wait, 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 stop, time out. What's happened? And I realized as I watched her, she started to get a little bit cocky about riding a bike. And so she'd be like, oh, my hair's in the way, you know, and take us, and she's like, mom, get this. Like, are you watching? Look how cute I am, you know? And she'll say, ah, and just waving at the neighbors and doing her thing. And, and I said, okay, babe, listen, we gotta stop. Let's regroup and let's get back to the basics. All right, remember, we gotta stay in the center of the bike. Eyes ahead, handlebar straight. We're gonna work. And so once we got back to the basics, she was good. In fact, um, she made me come home every day this week and take her on a bike ride for at least an hour, which is exciting because I don't own a bike, but that's another story. So we went on a bike ride every single day this week. She had a great time, very, very fun. But it was all about getting back to the fundamentals, getting back to the basics. Because if you don't have those things done, everything's going to be out of whack. And this is so true of our Christian faith, is if we don't do the basics, everything is going to be out of whack. The basics would be things like prayer and worship and scripture reading and this thing called the Sabbath. And so if life seems to be out of control or seems to be out of alignment, we need to stop and revisit the basics. For most of my life, um, especially my adolescence, I struggled with anxiety. I had a lot of fear, a lot of worry, and I thought, oh, you know, it's just I'm a, I'm a worry word. This is kind of who I am. And, and so I'd always talk to my dad about some of the stress that I would have in my life, and the things that I was worrying about. And, and he kind of would frustrate me because I would tell him, here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm stressed about. And he would totally ignore whatever the issue was at first, and we wouldn't even discuss it. And his first question would always be, well, how's your prayer life? Dad, that is not the problem right now, okay? This girl is the problem. Or, okay, oh, how, are you reading your Bible? What about church? Are you going, you're, you're at church, right? Now you're listening. And he would start to revisit all the fundamentals of the faith. And he realized that if those things are not on track, everything else is going to be out of whack. And so first, we got to get back to the basics. Once we've talked about those, then we can talk about whatever this issue may be. And so Jesus gives us a great example um, He's experiencing a high-stress time. His friend and cousin, John the Baptist, was just um, beheaded. He has disciples trying to get his attention because they have questions, and they're trying to tell him about the ministry, and there's huge crowds following around. And, and so you can imagine this very chaotic and busy scene. And as all of this is taking place, here's what Jesus' response is. He says in, in Mark 6.31, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, which I have never been that busy before. I have always taken time to eat. I don't know. This is really busy. And he says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. It also says in Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And so Jesus' response to high stress, very busy times is the exact opposite of what you and I usually do. 
See, usually when we are feeling stressed out and we have a ton of stuff to do, what we do is we dig our heels in and we grind, we go, let's make this happen. And Jesus' response is, oh my gosh, I have so much to do, I'm out of here. I'm going on a retreat. You go, whoa, Jesus, whoa, do you not see all these people? Do you, do you not hear the news? Do you not see? We have a lot that we got to get done. And he goes, exactly. That's why I got to go get prepared. See, he's not running away from his problems. He's actually preparing for them. He says, I need to escape so that I can be physically and spiritually energized. I need to, ha- I need to be replenished. I need to be ready for what I'm about to enter into. And so his initial response is, I have to get out of here so that I can be operating at my fullest levels when I engage. This idea of rest is not unique to Jesus, of course. It's been uh, implemented at the very beginning of creation, and it's called the Sabbath. And so in Exodus, we see um, the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments is this commandment for us to take a Sabbath rest. And in Exodus 20, 11, it says this. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so we see this idea of taking a rest that is embedded into creation. It's almost woven into the fabric of the universe is that there is this thing called rest that we have to take seriously. And so we see the purpose of rest in creation. Of course, it's to be able to cease from our work, to take uh, time off in order to be spiritually and and physically replenished and refueled. But it also gives us a pattern. It says six days of work, one day of rest. And we kind of make sense of that. That's probably why we're not working today. But there's this other part of it, and I find this the most interesting is the definition of rest. So there's the obvious definition of rest, which is physical rest, that you are supposed to seek, uh, cease from laboring, from creating, from producing, from working, that you're supposed to stop all of those things and take time off. I get that. But there's a deeper level rest that's also being talked about in this narrative. Because at the end of every creation, at the end of the day, God would look back and he would say that his creation was good. He would step back and he would admire what has been done. And so there's a soul-level rest that's taking place here, and it means to be satisfied with what has been done, to be pleased, to step back and say, it is good. So how do we experience this rest? Let me address the first rest, the physical rest. We go back to our, our passage. It says that Jesus, he took time to go and eat, to be by himself in a quiet place, and to rest and relax. And so he is Um, identifying something that should be pretty obvious to most of us, which is that our bodies eventually need to stop and to rest. Now, some of us um, have experienced the consequences of not taking time to rest. And so when I was 20, I remember um, I was I I thought that I was superhuman, that I could just continue to go, 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 go. And so I had full-time school, I had a full-time job, and a full-time girlfriend, Amy, which is a lot of work. And so those three... Those three were just, it was, a, that was a, it was a lot on my plate. And I thought, it's okay. I don't need to sleep. I can just go. Let's go, move, move. And I was, I was having a very limited amount of sleep. And eventually I got to a place in which I had a physical and emotional meltdown. I was done. I honestly couldn't get out of bed for days at a time because my body was just, it was, it was, it was, it was totally empty. And so I went to a doctor and the doctor said, hey, you, uh, you're, you're pretty much on the edge right now. If you don't fix this, you're going to have some pretty serious consequences emotionally and physically. 
And so that began the process of having to rest, having to relax, having to make sure that I got a certain amount of sleep and that I was eating correctly. And it took a long time to recover from that meltdown. And ever since then, I, I've been pretty serious about making sure that uh, my, my body is physically and emotionally on track because I can tell now that I'm starting to get stressed out. I'm starting to get worried. I'm starting to get anxious. I'm starting to, and so I will stop and I will pull back to nine times out of 10. It's because I haven't been getting enough sleep and I haven't been eating right. And so if I will go back to the basics of, um, of physiology, then I can usually resolve whatever the issue is. Some of us, we are on that edge, either right now or we're headed for it if we continue to, to live the way that we've lived is because we are running on fumes. There's a Disney movie called Cars in which my son is absolutely obsessed with. We watch it constantly. And there's a scene, opening scene in Cars in which uh, Lightning McQueen, the star, he is in a race and he decides, because he's a rookie at the time, kind of naive, he decides he's not going to rest. He's not going to stop and do a pit stop. He's not going to get refuel. He's not going to get tires. He's not going to go. And he's just going to continue to go and go and go. And in the short term, it works. He's out in the lead. It's incredible. Oh my gosh, he's going to win. But of course, it catches up with him. At the last lap, his tire blows out and he barely gets across the finish line. See, I think that is a great analogy that Disney was totally onto something because that's how most of us live, is in the short term, we're going to push, we're going to go, we're going to move, and it is a short-term gain but a long-time loss because eventually we're going to have a blowout. Eventually we're going to go, I can't operate like this anymore. I'm going to melt down. You may experience it in your finances, in your relationships. You may feel it physically or emotionally or spiritually, but eventually your body is going to say enough is enough. We got to take a break. And so some of us, we need to have a, uh, a pit stop in our life. That's exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples, by the way. He goes, guys, we've been running too hard for too long. We're going to need a pit stop. And so here's what he does. He says, let's take a break from our work. And, and by the way, when I look at his work compared to like our work, I'm like, Jesus, you're healing people. You're doing miracles. I don't know. You're saving mankind. You have some important things. And he goes, but I got to take a break. I got to take a break. I got to grab something to eat and I got to refuel. And so for some of us, the most spiritual thing that we can do today is simply take a nap. One of my spiritual gifts, by the way, <laughs> incredible at taking naps. Anywhere, anytime, I can take a nap. And that's what some of us need to do. We just got to take a nap. We got to pull back and go, okay, you know what? I just need to relax today. I need to spend some time with my loved ones. I need to great, uh, grab a great meal with them. And I just, need to, I just need to shut down. No emails, no phone calls, no chores around the house, no errands, honey-do lists, nothing. It is just time to shut down and relax. I uh, have a friend who I see at the gym uh, almost every morning, and he goes here, and he's 83 years old. And and so this week he came to me and he said, I heard your message this last week and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't guilty of being too busy. So I took an extra nap every day this week, just in case. <laughs> I, said, I said, good for you, man. So maybe naps aren't your thing. My wife, she can't nap. Um, it's, a, it's a curse, I think. And, uh, and so she has to find in a hobby or activity, something that replenishes her, not going around doing chores. It's something that brings her energy to her body and, and to her mind. And I think that is true of all of us, is we've got to find something that replenishes us, that refuels our tank. And of course, this isn't just a one-time thing. This is a daily, a weekly, and a yearly thing. Daily, we've got to participate in something that refuels us, that gives us energy and life, whatever that may be. Maybe it's a nap, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's whatever it is that you walk away going, ah, oh, I feel better. 
We gotta find time during our day to do that. Also weekly, we have to spend a day a week replenishing our bodies and our souls. There's a uh, book called Living Biblically by A.J. Jacobs, and this uh, author is not a Christian. He's, in fact, an atheist, and he set out to do an experiment. He said, I'm going to try to live according to every rule in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, for a year, and then I'm going to tell about my experience. And here's what he had to say. He said, one of the great things about my year was doing the Sabbath, because I am a workaholic. So having this one day where you cannot work, it really changed my life. See, it's not, just a, it's not just a commandment for us to rest. It is good for us. This is how we were made. And so even a person who's an atheist comes along and goes, you know what, there is something about the Sabbath that they, they knew something about us that we needed to get away. This also has to take place yearly. Maybe it's a few days, maybe it's a couple weeks, whatever it may be. We have to disconnect from our lives once a year at least and for the sole purpose of recharging. Uh, 40% of Americans are not using all of their vacation days. They call this the work martyr complex. They, they're not taking their days off because, you know, you're going to be seen as a slacker, and I'm going to be the one who will be successful. I'll continue to charge ahead, and I will become the one, the, the one who moves up in the world. And when I heard this, I thought, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You're not taking the time off? That's like Lightning McQueen, right? That's a short-term gain, but a long-term loss is, yeah, you get ahead in the short term, but you're going to melt down. You're going to crumble. It's not going to last. As a side note, uh, vacation days don't necessarily count as this time of unplugging, because I know, because I'm married to someone like this, that um, sometimes vacations are not a way in which we recharge, because we get up, and it's like, okay, it's nine o'clock, and we have people to see. We have things to do. Let's go, 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 people. It's a vacation, and I'm like, oh gosh, and I get back, and I need a vacation after my vacation, because it's just, woo, we're going. I have three young kids, having them in a car for eight hours, there is nothing relaxing about that. <laughs> it will improve your prayer life, that's for sure. <laughs> and these activities, these, we don't call them vacations, we call them family trips. Uh, these family trips, these times where we're going and exploring and experiencing things, these are great, these are awesome things. And I encourage everybody to do it, but they're not the point of relaxation. They're maybe the point of of having fun and being able to observe some things and learn some things, definitely relational time, but they're not necessarily relaxing. And so it's got to be intentional time in which we fight for our time off. It actually is a very difficult discipline to say no and go and relax because we feel guilty. We feel like there's so much that needs done. We feel like we're going to disappoint people. It is a discipline to take time off. But as we know, we can't afford not to. Here's the problem, though, is all of this is good, physical rest. We need it. That's how we are made. And um, when we do it, we feel better about ourselves. We're more passionate about our life and our job and our families. And but the issue is, it doesn't matter how great your vacation is, how much rest that you got, how, how rejuvenated and re-energized you are. There's always this sense of restlessness, because it, it doesn't matter if you're fully and physically, physically rested, there is this inability or inability for us to find peace. I've never gone on a vacation, and I don't think I've ever met anyone who has gone on a vacation or a retreat or whatever and come back and said, you know what, I'm a different person. No anxiety, no fear, no worry, no disappointment for the rest of my life. I would say, tell me where this magical beach is because I can't wait to go there. Because there's a restlessness within our souls. 
And it doesn't matter how much we physically rest, it's not going to address what our core issue is. Sometimes I dream, uh, especially in times of high stress, of like, all right, you know what, let's just, and, and maybe this is just me, maybe you've thought of this before, it's like, let's just sell it all and be done. Let's just go on a ranch in the middle of nowhere. There'll be no people, therefore no problems. Let's just get out of here. And then I will go and do that for a couple weeks with my, my family or whatever during my break. And about a week and a half into it, I'll go, how did they f my problems found me all the way out here? How were they able to track me down? I thought I outran these problems. I thought if I came here, it would all be good, and yet I realized that the problems are not out there. The problems are in here, and so wherever I go, they're going to follow me because we have a soul restlessness that needs addressed. This is why people jump from relationship to relationship, job to job, church to church, is because this isn't fulfilling me. This isn't satisfying me, and so maybe the next one will. Maybe it's the next career. Maybe it's the next person. Maybe it's the next church. Then I'm going to be okay. I talked to someone recently who continues to have conflict with their neighbors. Um, at first, it was their neighbor on their right, and they were in a dispute with them about something, and then, and then a little bit later on, it was the person on their left, and they began to dispute with them about something, and then it was the person down the street, and I said, listen, either you have the worst luck in neighbors, or you're the problem. The common denominator here is you. Maybe you're the one who has an issue. And see, that's, that's true of all of us, is there is this soul's restlessness in which we continue to move from one thing to the next and find that the problem continues to follow us. I think intuitively we know this to be true, is that there's nothing in this world that's going to bring us this, this deep, lasting soul satisfaction. Because it doesn't matter what your religious beliefs are, there's a popular phrase that when somebody passes away, I hear people say uh, that they want them, this person to, to rest in peace. It's something comforting. There's something that resonates with us that when someone passes away, we hope that they rest in peace. What is that? Why do we, why do we resonate with that? I think on one hand, we resonate with it because it speaks to our deepest desires to finally have rest and peace at a soul level. That is something all of us desire, something that we want to experience. And then at the same time, we know that there's nothing in this world that has given it to us. And so maybe you'll find it in the next this rest in this peace. I think the reason why we're restless is because we've been running on the wrong fuel. So your body needs certain fuel, right? It needs water, it needs food, it needs sleep. It can't operate unless it is nourished by these things, and so it has to continue to be refueled. Well, the same is true of our souls. As some of us have been trying to run on the incorrect fuel for our souls, and we're wondering why we're restless. It's because we go out and we go, you know what, I have this restlessness, and so if I can just do enough, if I can have enough, if I can be enough, if I can know the right people, if I can accomplish the right things, then my soul will be satisfied. If you look back at the creation narrative, we see that God sits back at, after his creation, and he says, it is good. And he finds his satisfaction in a job well done. And I think that's why we're restless is because we have never looked at our life and said, ah, yes, it's finished, it's done, I'm completely satisfied. Your grades have never been good enough, you've never made enough money, you've never known enough people, you've never had the kids, the, the, the marriage, the retirement, the accomplishments, even at their best, they can never completely satisfy. 
Your soul is always restless. And so here's what we do is we end up thinking, okay, it's at the top of that next mountain. If I can climb that mountain, I'm positive that rest is there. And so we climb that mountain and we get there and we go, okay, rest wasn't on this mountain, but it's probably over the next hill. And so we go over to the next hill and we go, okay, I got there. And we go, no, nope, rest wasn't here either. And so for the rest of our lives, we continue to think rest is just at the next hill. It's over that next mountain. And yet we never seem to find it. See, I think pursuing these things, these are great things. Having great marriages and great kids and, and, and pursuing a career, all wonderful things, things that God affirms. But if we think that these are the things that are going to be able to give us rest, we're always going to be restless. So Augustine says the reason why we're restless, and it's a prayer, he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. What he's saying is, you know, just like your body needs to be nourished by certain things, your soul needs to be nourished by certain things. And if you put in the wrong fuel, you're never going to be completely satisfied. And he says, the only satisfaction for your restless heart is to have a relationship with its creator. That's how he made you. He made you to run on himself. And so nothing in this world is going to be able to satisfy if that's how you were created. And then one day Jesus comes along and he says this, he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. All who are weary and burdened, that's you and I. We're tired. We're running all the time. We are full of guilt and shame and regret and disappointment. And if you're not yet, just wait, because you will be. Some of the young people are going like, I'm not. Just give it a couple years. You will be. And he says, and I will give you rest. And the, this rest that he speaks of is not perfect, a perfect life. It's not uh, making all of your circumstances great and uh, everything align in your life. It's actually a rest that is uh, beyond your circumstances. It is a rest that says, no matter what happens, I can still have peace. It's not a denial of reality. It's not a ceasing to care about things. It is actually in the midst of chaos being able to have a soul-level rest. We see this in Jesus as He's on a boat and there's a storm all around him and his disciples are freaking out and it looks like they're gonna drown and he, and he is still asleep. And the disciples wake him up and go, wake up, what are you doing? How are you not freaking out right now? And I think Jesus' response would be something like, because I know who's in charge. I know how this ends. And so I can be at total peace and find rest even in the midst of chaos. Here's how this works is, all of our, our peace and satisfaction and, and rest, we've been trying to find it in what we have done, and we can never be satisfied. We can never completely say, well done. And so it goes from being satisfied in what we do to satisfied in what he has done for us. So for those uh, who are kind of theology nerds, let me give you a theology word here. It's called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is what happened with Jesus on the cross. In which when Christ died on the cross, everything that was true of him now becomes true of us if we claim it through faith. If we believe in him, he imputes his righteousness onto us. That means that, um, that, we are, that we are attributed all the things that were true of him onto us. And because, and this is how it all kind of worked out, is Jesus took the punishment that we deserved so that we could have the reward that he deserved. And so, it's not just this big theological concept. It actually has some really practical implications. The implications are that you and I don't have to prove ourselves any longer. We don't have to justify our existence. We don't have to prove our, our, our worth and our value to anybody around us, including God, because if we have accepted that gift, now it is his righteousness that God sees. It is his perfect life that has now been put upon us. 
And so it's not about what we do or what we do not do. It is about what he has done on our behalf. And so being a Christian is not just about laying down your sins, but it's also about laying down your best deeds. See, Jesus came not only to forgive our sins, our rebellion, all the stuff that we know we shouldn't have done is it offensive to God, but he also came in order so that we don't have to try to prove ourselves. We don't have to say, you know what, I don't need your offer of forgiveness and salvation because I'm a good person. I can go out and I can earn it. He came to die for that as well because it's never going to be enough. You're never going to be satisfied. And so he came to forgive us of our best and our worst deeds. And this gives me the ability to be able to fail and succeed well in life. See, um, all of us have failed, and we will continue to fail. And if my life is based on what I do or don't do, and that's where I find my identity, my worth, my satisfaction, my rest, when I fail, I am crushed. I'm restless. I cannot find any kind of peace or satisfaction because I have failed. And yet when I fail, and it's not about me, but it's about what he's done, at the end of the day, it's still enough. Jesus still loves me. He's, you know what? He died for me despite all of my, in fact, he died because of all of my failures. And so at the end of the day, I can still rest and go, because it's not about me. Like when I get up here on the weekends, I kind of go, I don't know how this is going to go. We'll see if this works out or not. And if I completely bomb, I can still sleep at night. I might be embarrassed. I might be disappointed, but I can still sleep at night because I go, you know what? It's not about me. I'm still, I still know who I am. And who I am is not based on what I do, but based on what's been done for me. And so I can still find peace. It's also true of success, is along the way, if I ever have some success and I think, oh man, I'm just going to puff myself up with pride because I did it, I'm also reminded, no, you didn't. He did it for you. You didn't choose where you were born. You didn't choose the abilities that you had, the opportunities, the resources. In fact, the majority of the stuff that made you successful was given to you by him, by your creator. And so in those moments of success, I can be humbled, and in the moments of failure, I can still have confidence. He finishes with this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's really saying here is he says, if you want to access this rest and this peace, then follow me. Allow me to be the leader of your life. Hand over the keys of your life to me. Allow me to be the ultimate authority. And it's not just a once in a while thing. It's an everyday thing where you get up every day and you say, Lord, you are in charge. This is up to you. I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to trust you with the outcomes. Some of us, we've never made that commitment. And that is something in which maybe just today is that day in which you go, I am so tired. I just need some rest. I can't prove myself anymore. My soul is restless. And it's because you've been looking for a rest in which you can never accomplish. Some of us are Christ followers, and, and we hear sermons like this, and we go, yeah, I get it. Like, I have, yes, I agree, but I have never experienced that sort of rest. I gave my life over to Christ, and I am still completely restless. It says in Hebrews 4, make every effort to enter into his rest. I think the Christian faith, a good analogy for it would be something like this is, um, imagine Christmas morning, my kids come downstairs and there are just a ton of presents. It's usually from their Nana. Tons of presents sitting in front of the tree and they're like, what? You know what they did to deserve those? Nothing. My kids, if you're around them, it's a sucking noise, just sucking resources constantly, right? <laughs> they have done nothing. They don't help pay the mortgage. They're super expensive. They do zero to earn this stuff. And yet, 
we still want to buy them great gifts. Why? Because we love them. Of course, we love them. It's nothing they've done for us. They didn't earn it. They don't deserve it. It's just by the fact that we love them. Now, if they sat in front of those presents, and they did nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it, and they said, now, are you going to open it for me or what? I would say, take them back. Take those presents back right now. Because the gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And so there is still effort involved in our Christian faith. And one of the efforts that we have to put in is entering into God's rest. And so there may be some effort that you haven't put in yet that you haven't been able to experience this rest. Let me give you just a couple very quick. One is maybe there are obstacles in the way in which you need to remove. That there is some wedge between you and God. There's nothing worse than relational conflict. That is one of the things that makes you the most restless in life. Is if, let's say, my wife and I got in an argument, which never happened, she's always right, but let's hypothetically say that we got in an argument and we didn't agree about something. It is restless in my house. One of the rules I had growing up was you cannot go to bed angry. I don't care if we have to stay up all night, we will resolve this issue. Because when there's relational conflict, there's a soul, soul restlessness. And so some of us haven't experienced this rest because there is something between you and God that has not been resolved. There's an issue. Maybe immediately when I say that, you know what it is. There's an unethical business practice. There's a relational issue. There is something that you're unwilling to give up, and it is causing you and God to have a relational conflict. It's not because God doesn't want to resolve it. He does, and it's not because he's not willing, because he is. It's because you won't just let that thing go. You won't just say, all right, God, I got to give this up. Let's get this out there, and let's get this resolved. Some of us need to just be more proactive. I honestly believe that in every arena of life, especially in faith, that consistency is key. You just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep doing the basics. Whenever I see people when their life just spins out of control, I go, because you stopped doing the basics. Just do the basics and you will end up in a far different place. And the basics are daily time with God, reading his word, prayer, weekly being in worship together and being in community it's not complicated. It might be tough, but it's not complicated. It's just about being consistent with the basics. And some of us, we need to be proactive in that. We need to make sure we carve out that time. And last one, it brings us full circle from last week, is trust. See, trust, in, you can see if you trust God by the level of rest that you experience in your life. It's kind of a gauge for your faith. And if you are unwilling to rest, it's because you have not trusted God with the outcomes yet. So some of us need to say, I'm not God. I'm not the one who keeps the world running. In fact, I can't even keep my own life running. And so I have to trust that he is in charge of the outcomes. If you can't take a day off and you can't find rest and you can't let go, you know what that makes you? A slave. A slave is a person who can't take a day off. Maybe you're enslaved by your own pride, your own ambition, your own uh, insecurities or people's expectations. But if you can't say no and take some time to retreat and trust God. It's because you were enslaved to something. And so you have to say to your heart, this is an act of liberation. I will be free from my schedule. I will be free from expectations. I will be free from whatever binds me because I trust that God is in control. I've got to put all of my trust in the relationship with my Heavenly Father that that will be the thing that defines me. Not what I do, not what people think of me, not what I accomplish, but in the fact that my heavenly father has deemed me worthy, and so therefore I can rest because it covers any imperfections I may have. Let's pray. Lord God, we live in a, a restless world. 
And Lord, some of us, um, just being in here, we're, we're tapping our feet and we're ready to go to the next thing because we constantly are on the move. We don't even remember what rest feels like. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be able to experience your rest. Lord God, not just uh, physically, of course, but spiritually, that we would be able to rest in the fact that we, that we have been made righteous because of your sacrifice. And so, Lord God, in these coming moments, we just pray that if we are not experiencing rest, maybe because we have never given up our lives to you, that you would give us the strength and the words and the power to be able to do that, and that this would be a day in which we stopped being in control and we let you take over. Maybe some of us, we have some, some issues, some things that are blocking us from being able to enter into your rest, and we just pray that we would be able to submit those to you today. And Lord God, some of us simply just need to be proactive and then trust you with the outcomes. And so in these coming moments as we worship you, we just pray that we would be able to enter into your rest. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.